We respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of country throughout Australia where this podcast was recorded and recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and culture. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Hi, I'm Daniel Moore, and you're listening to a Hearing Architecture mini-episode. In this mini-episode, you're going to be hearing from Tom Cadet from Tom Cadet Architects. Uh, Tom works on projects in the ACT and New South Wales and has worked on multiple residential projects right across the bushfire attack level rating spectrum. Here's Tom speaking with Imagine Committee member James Goffwin. Tom... Specifically, um, with this last summer and the most recent fires, what project of yours was involved? And um, if you can give us a bit of a descriptive overview of the project. Yeah, I was the architect um, for a a house um, I designed down at uh, North Rosedale in New South Wales. North Rosedale is a a very heavily forested, uh, beautiful township uh, on the coast. quite sort of uh, um, steep sloping blocks or with um, almost with fantastic views of the ocean um, and uh, yeah I was lucky enough to be asked to do a, a house on on a, a, a beautiful uh, sloping bush block with views to the ocean down there and uh, that that one was um, recently involved in the, the fires um, in New South Wales on New Year's Eve um, unfortunately. Yeah, so that that uh, that house was only only completed about a few years ago before it was put to the test. Great, Tom. And um, that house in particular was um, was that designed to meet the minimum or maximum bushfire standards? Yeah, so that that house uh, ended up um, being in in flame zone. So we worked with a bushfire consultant on that project and. Um, one thing that it is possible to do in calculating the bushfire attack level is to um, to have multiple uh, bushfire attack level um, construction requirements uh, on the same house. So we were hoping, the, the best we could hope for was to try and get some of the elevations um, down to about 40, but we ended up with three elevations of flame zone. Um, and once you have any flame zone, it triggers that the roof and floor construction are also flame zone. So it was more or less a flame zone house. Mm-hmm. And um, being a flame zone house, you know, how is that building different to standard homes? What elements are there? One of the things that I think the most notable, notable is you end up with a very enclosed uh, design. So the more changes in direction or jutting out elements or overhanging eaves um, that you try and introduce with the flame zone construction, the more difficult the construction becomes to comply with the Australian standards. So you end up um, being pushed more towards an enclosed built form, which is quite workable, but I think that's quite a notable difference. Uh, It it probably even affects the, the overall massing of the building Um, but then as far as the construction itself goes you end up uh, with some some pretty detailed and and 
tight tolerances uh, at the connections. So all of the actual connections and flashings, gaskets underneath and underneath roof sheeting, they all end up having to be built uh, to a much tighter tolerance. Oh, that's great, Tom. Great description. And um, with with that horrific um, series of bushfires that we had over the summer, do you think that you know, there is more reason for more buildings to be built like that, even in lower bow level areas? Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting to consider um, whether we should uh, build more towards those standards um, because it does add cost. So it adds significant cost. Um, and, and a lot of that cost comes from just the extra labour involved. Uh, materials themselves can still be fairly um, fairly standard and readily available materials, but uh, the amount of time putting them together uh, is increased, which, which add, adds an extra cost. H- having said that, with, with most sort of architect design buildings, um, we do work to a bit of a higher level of detailing, uh, so sometimes that can absorb the, the extra labour cost that, um, that's involved in, in building to tighter tolerances. And then you have issues like windows, windows and shutters in these types of buildings. Uh, you probably wouldn't want to introduce the higher bushfire certified windows if you didn't have to, because the price of them really does go up a, a lot as you as you move into not so much Bell 40, but once you, you're in a flame zone, if you want to get um, flame zone certified windows, then the, the cost is sometimes um, prohibitive. And so that might require you to move towards a solution of shutters. And I suppose, you know, that there's, if they can be integrated into the design, um, there are multiple advantages to shutters. Um, but again, they, they do add cost. Now, um, your clients during the fires, tell us about them. Where were they? Did they stay? Did they leave? Were they there? So, yeah, the, the house down at Rosedale was built as a holiday house. When it was completed, we talked about the bushfire construction requirements and that the the roller shutters, you know, obviously should be shut um, when they leave. But I was also a little bit sceptical of of the, I suppose, the Australian standard for building in bushfire-prone areas and and whether it really would um, result in the saving of the structure. Um, so I, I sort of always advise my clients, if there's if there's a bushfire anywhere near, don't try and stay in the house if you can avoid it. Um, and I think the standard advice still is to leave. So they, um, at, the, at the time that they, they had left the coast uh, several weeks earlier before there was even um, an indication that there might be fires uh, in the area, um, and fortunately, they heeded the advice to close all their shutters before they left, which may well have have been what saved their house. That's great, Tom. And um, you mentioned that clients somewhat prepared their house by closing their shutters. Do you think architects should be designing bushfire resistant homes that don't require occupant preparation in the threat of a bushfire, or at least minimal occupant preparation? Um, well, ideally, yeah, the best solution would be something that is as passive as possible. So you just, at any point in whatever state you've left the house, um, it'll, it'll be the most resilient that it can be. 
And, and that, I suppose, would uh, come into effect when you're considering um, systems like sprinkling systems as well that require you know, um, certain triggers uh, or, or for them to be switched on. Uh, at certain points in time, um, which, yeah, as you say, that that's uh, that's sort of requiring quite a bit of input uh, and preparation. But you know, practically, I, I don't I don't think it's possible to build something that, in its current form, that you uh, might occupy it, um, could then withstand uh, an intense fire front moving through. So I think if you, uh, I think in all cases. Uh, you'd always have to at least make sure all the windows are closed um, and if they have shutters that the shutters are closed over those windows which isn't a hard thing to do when you leave leave the house uh, if you're going away for a few days. I interestingly on on this uh, house down at Rosedale we had three elevations of flame zone and one elevation that we uh, were allowed to construct to a bell 40 which we did, which meant it had bow 40 windows, but no shutters. And because of the direction of the fire um, and the fact that the house next door caught on fire, that elevation that was built to a, a bow 40 ended up taking the, the brunt of the fire front, um, and it was definitely the hottest part of the fire. And those bow 40 windows uh, were damaged uh, in terms of silicon bubbling and things like that, but they still they still held up and protected the the building skin or the and, and the structure. So, I think that in a lot of cases, Bell Forty uh, seems to be able to cope with a lot because uh, this this had flames up against the cladding, you know, fire all around the house, um, and these windows survived without shutters. So. Yeah, one thing I've, I'm starting to consider is is that, you know, flame zone is maybe requiring us to build to uh, over and above what, what's needed um, because the Bell 40 windows do seem to be um, certainly able to cope with a lot of the fire and, and, and they don't require any preparation other, other than to be closed. Yep. yep, that's interesting, Tom. You know, more cost effective, certainly. Now, look... Just lastly, although your project essentially met those highest level of um, bushfire attack levels, after seeing the result of the bushfire passing through, would have there been any design elements that you would have changed? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, to be honest, I, I think the performance of the building, which was largely due to it just meeting the Australian standards uh, for construction in flame zone, um, but the performance sort of exceeded my expectations. Um, so I think what I would do next, and I am actually uh, currently working on another house that looks like um, it might be flame zone. Um, it's definitely on the on the limit, a, a bit on the cusp of Bell 40 and flame zone. Um, and and I'm just trusting the the Australian standard and, and following it uh, as closely as I can. Um, and there's there's still quite a lot of flexibility for the design while doing that but yeah I, I mean I'm not an, an expert in in what resists fire and what doesn't so I, I I just defer to the standard which in in the case of the previous fires and that house uh, in Rosedale they exceeded my expectations.
Thanks for listening. That was a Hearing Architecture mini-episode featuring Tom Cadet and Imagine Committee member James Goffwin. If you'd like to hear more from architects around Australia, please keep listening to Hearing Architecture on your favourite podcast app. This is a production of the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. To learn more about what the Australian Institute of Architects is doing to support architects and the community, please visit architecture.com.au. This content is brought to you by the Australian Institute of Architects Emerging Architects and Graduates Network in collaboration with Open Creative Studio. This content does not take into account specific circumstances and should not be relied on in that way. This content does not constitute legal, financial, insurance or other types of advice. You should seek independent verification of advice before relying on this content in circumstances where loss or damage may result. The Institute endeavours to publish content that is accurate at the time it is published, but does not accept responsibility for content that may or will become inaccurate over time.